This podcast was recorded before a live telephone audience. This is Open Line with Michelle Naranjo and Aaron Bragman, Episode 5 for 2011, Kids in the Pits. You can watch and participate live on the first Tuesday of every month at AutolineDetroit.tv. Open Line starts at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific. Join in on the call at any time by dialing 1-712-432-0900 and enter PIN 911-633. I'm Michelle Naranjo from autobytel.com, and I am being joined by Aaron Bragman, Senior Analyst from IHS Automotive. This week, um, we have a very special guest from, um, well, you're gonna, you can tell us about your school, Pete, but it's Pete Ragovich, and he is a 20, how many year automotive technician? Well, yeah, this is my 27th year as an ASE Certified Master Technician. Wow, and you went from doing that and racing to right. being an educator, and you now, and not just an educator, where you've gone in and are working in like an OEM program to teach other people how to be a technician. You are actually in the high schools. Correct. Right. It's a high school program. Um, you know, basically, uh, I was a dealership technician. Spent 17 years in a dealership. Um, worked my way through college at night. Two-year associate's degree, um, and then uh, graduated from the University of Wisconsin. Uh, doing that at night, working at a dealership as a dealership technician during the day, and uh, I left the, the shop full time and went to work for uh, an automotive aftermarket parts manufacturer in New York, Standard Motor Products, as a tech trainer, as one of their national tech trainers. And after that, uh, you know, just uh, had just such a such a great great time uh, spent time racing during the whole time never stopped uh it was basically my neighbor back when i was 13 years old um uh, mom and dad separated and uh you know i was i was a kid like any other any other boy trying to figure out you know life what i'm going to do and 13 14 years old working at a gas station pumping gas and and my neighbor bob parvin had a had a race team a, a eastern dirt modified team in pennsylvania where i was from and um, I bugged him and bugged him and said, Bob, you know, let me go to the races with you. And I'll just clean up around the shop. And finally, um, he got permission from my mom to take me. And I was just really wired, got to the track. And what do I do? You know, what do you want me to do? Get tires over to shack? Um, you know, what, what, what do you need me to do? He handed me 10 bucks and he said, uh, go figure out what the guys want. Coffee or soda. And that's your job all night. I looked at him, you know, here I am 14 years old. I'm like, you kidding me? But um, you know that's really what sparked what sparked my interest. Bob was a General Motors technician, progressed up through service manager, and then and then ultimately uh, did a buy-in and, and retired as a, a partial uh, dealer principal. So um, you know it was uh, it was a pretty pretty interesting uh, pretty interesting career. had a had a lot of uh, a lot of uh, success at a young age. Um, just enjoyed it. Really enjoyed the trade. Enjoyed the people. Um, you know, always wanted to always wanted to know more. You know, you got to be a lifelong learner in this business. And uh, you know, working for working as a, a tech trainer uh, for a few years, it's just uh, you know, you wake up one morning and say, you know, I, this is really good. This is really good. I really enjoyed my career, and how can I pass that on? Um, you know, to pay to pay my mentors back, and really to pay the industry back that had been so good to me at a young age. Um, so uh, you know, I I basically took a huge pay cut. Um, to go into uh, public education, I started teaching in Pennsylvania at the uh, at, in the vocational technical system, and uh, along with a uh, teaching partner, a real charismatic uh, gentleman, um, master technician uh, Steve Bruno, we built uh, one of Pennsylvania's premier automotive programs in a matter of about six seven years. And um, how I wound up in Wisconsin, uh, my wife is from Wisconsin, so happy wife, happy life, and. Um, she wanted to move back here, and, and I had an opportunity. School District of Beloit uh, actually recruited me, and uh, you know the rest uh, was really. Uh, it was, I got here, and, and we had a lot of work to do. Um, but uh, the program that we built 
is the only ASE NATEF master certified high school training program in Wisconsin. And it is also an AYES, Automotive Youth Educational Systems Affiliate School, or AYES certified, which, um, you know, I don't know um, how much the audience knows about AYS, but it is uh, it is underwritten by, by GM, Chrysler, Mini, Subaru, Toyota, BMW, Mercedes, and Rolls-Royce. Um, and they, they put quite a bit of money in there, and they provide us as instructors with the tools that we need, vehicle, parts, and service information um, gratis. And uh, we have a, a really, uh, really awesome conference every year, and they rotate that around the country. But, I mean, guests like, uh, you know, in the past, uh, well, Dr. Dieter Zetsch, didn't get there in person, but he was on, on video. The guy, the guy was just uh, that was just great. Um, but, you know, Joe Hilger from Chrysler, um, we got, you know, those, these guys are regulars. Um, we had Don Gray there before. Don Gray actually founded AYES, and... Um, a lot of you know top 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 level executives from from our dealer partners, our manufacturer partners, and uh, it's about six seven hundred people generally show up to it, and um, you know the the execs they do their uh, they do their um, thing, tell us about uh, you know what we we'll get a lot of product information, but most importantly it's a it's a recharge for us as instructors Uh-oh. you know to get back out there. Um, anyway, the the benefit of the AYS program is that. We actually are training students for industry, you know, for our dealer partners. Um, there's a huge shortage of technicians nationally, and now with the economy in a slump, you know, we used to say, um, you know, when, when the economy's booming, we're selling new cars, and, and we're making a lot of money even at, at the back end of the um, dealership and a service base, doing all the PDIs and, and uh, you know, adding the uh, optional equipment, which we used to do a lot of, um, the add-ons, and, uh you know, when the economy's bad, people are keeping their cars and they're and they're servicing and maintaining them, and and things are good. This has kind of been the exception to the rule this last uh, you know three four year period. We're we're seeing a lot of uh, you know a, lot, a, a big lull in the uh, you know in the back end of the business as far as the service work. So it's it's kind of I wouldn't say it's hurt us, but it's made it more challenging for us to place student interns. Well. Um... Let's see. I'm going to check with Ben really quickly because I see people in the chat room saying that there's some sort of lag. We may have lost Aaron. I'm not really I'm sure. Still, I'm actually still here, but I think I'm getting quite a bit of distortion on the line here. Um, I've been actually I've been following along with uh, with what Pete's been saying. <laughs> okay. How, Good. how much how much interest has there been in terms of of the schools that you've worked with in the school uh, school districts in in setting up a lot of these programs? Well, you know, um, let me let me just. Let me just say there's two different categories, that, that two different systems. Out east, there's 11 states. Um, you know, I'm, I'm from Pennsylvania, New York area. Um, but there are 11 states that have traditional high schools and also utilize a vocational technical high school. That, that's kind of the old buzzword, but they specialize in career, technical education, and training. Um, so basically, those 11 states that utilize that model Students would go to their traditional high school for a half day, and then they would uh, be transported to the vocational school. So you might have seven or eight high schools or two or three high schools that form a charter. Um, they, the students that want to go and learn a trade, whether it's automotive, plumbing, uh, carpentry, they would then go to the uh, Career Technical Center for, for a half day. And they do that. Um, so there's a school in Pennsylvania, Lehigh County uh, Career and Technical Center, and uh, it is uh, – Oh, geez, I think they have 56 programs. I mean, students get out of there as high school students certified in earth-moving equipment um, down to uh, nanofabrication, automotive technology. I mean, it's just, it's just an amazing, amazing model that uh, they've put together out there. So that's just, that's the model that I come from. Um, coming into Wisconsin, it was a bit different. We, we don't have um, a technical, um, a vocational technical career system at the high school level. Uh, they have technical colleges. At East, we call them community colleges. They're parallel. They have great programs out here, a very strong technical college system. Um, but, we, you know, there are a lot of challenges because, as you know, automotive technology programs are, are very expensive to uh, to run. They're very expensive to, to build. You know, you have a lot of you have your bricks and mortar, and it has to be a, a strong facility. And, you know, you can easily put in a million dollars in equipment, a million dollars plus. So, 
especially in these hard economic times, it's it's kind of um, it's tough, especially for smaller districts. But what we're doing in, in Beloit, Wisconsin, um, under our, our superintendent Steve McNeil, um, Steve's actually uh, been been wonderful working with with me and, and supporting this model. Uh, we've partnered with industry. Uh, Diane Hendricks, the founder and CEO of ABC Supply, and, and this might be this is pretty interesting. Her husband, I met her husband eight years ago when I moved here, and uh, I was frustrated. I moved here, and uh, the Department of Public Instruction said, "Well, gee, you're not qualified to teach automotive technology." I said, "Excuse me, <laughs> really? What's <laughs> uh, what?" They said, "Well, you know." You, you're teaching your your degree from University of Wisconsin is to teach at the technical college level. And I said, well, you know, um, I'm not going to charge the district anything extra for that. You know, I got a tongue in cheek, and they said, no, you don't understand. You can't you can't teach without taking these extra courses. And they were courses computer aided drafting, photography. And I thought, oof, you know. And I had to go through this. I jumped through their hoops, but it was a real eye opener. And I met Ken Hendricks, a school board member, had said, you know, you need to go talk to this guy. And my exact words were, you know, what's a, what's a got a, a billionaire that owns a roofing and siding company. What's he going to tell me about the automotive industry? And they said, just go over. He's a visionary. So I went over mm-hmm. and basically Ken, Ken tragically was killed three years ago in an accident. Uh, but I, uh. I, I went over and sat, you know, sat in his office and he said, so kid, what's on your mind? And I told him, I said, you know, we got to do something here about this, this system. It's not, he goes, what's wrong with it? And I told him, I said, it's non-existent as far as, uh, you know, teaching the trades hardcore to students in high school at the secondary level. <laughs> And then Ken got on his on his um, soapbox, and I tell you, he got it. He understood exactly. It's common sense. Now, Ken actually quit high school, and he was listed as the 91st richest American in 2007 by uh, Forbes magazine. Um, so that gives you an idea of the visionary that, uh, that this guy was. Um, and, and we hit it off instantly. He treated me like a son. And, and you know, what do you need to succeed? And I said, well, first I got to get through the certification issue. Well, he helped me get through that. We worked through that. Um, then we needed a bigger shop. Uh, high school shop was very small. Um, it was an eighth of the size of the shop I came from that I built in Pennsylvania. He said, well, he said, uh, we have this old Sears Auto Center. I looked at it, and it was an absolute wreck. It was in a mall that he owned across from the high school next to <laughs> on ABC corporate property. And I, then I looked at him. I said, you kidding me, right? And he said, no. He goes, how do you, how do you, you tell me what you need, and, and we'll build it for you. And subsequently, um, he and Diane invested almost a million dollars in the renovation of this facility. Um, it's, it's about a 4,000-square-foot facility, two smart classrooms. Um, it's set up just like a dealership. I set it up just like a, um, an OEM dealership. And, you know, we have, I have my students half day every day for two and a half years, and you can really teach a trade. Um, we're placing, you know, so, so in answer to your question, small districts, really tough to do uh, out here in this system. Um, a larger district that's um, that's visionary, I have to say, and, and has you have the support of the administration. It's really tough to do, but but we got it done. Um, you know, it, it's it's a team effort, and it's uh, it's really been working. The bottom line is, it's it's we're putting kids in industry. I say kids, young young adults. I mean, they're, they're going in industry, and um, you know, to see them out, I do I do my my dealer calls, and I visit them. Um, on a about a six week basis, I run out to the dealership and I just visit them, talk to their service managers, do a quick evaluation. And you know, most of these people, these young people, they're they're creatures of habit like we all are. They stay with them. The dealers, a lot of the dealers will pay for their education in the GM ASAP program, the Chrysler Cap program, you know, Toyota T10, that type of thing. Um, so it's a, it's a really really great deal for the kids. They're earning high school credits. They're earning college credits. Um, they're they're getting paid, and they're they're effectively when they get out of high school, um, you know they can use they can use this time in our AYS program and take one year of trade experience off of the um, off of the books, and so they can take their ASE test. So realistically, you can have a student that's 19 years old, almost 20, and go and take an ASE test and you know qualify to take it and hopefully pass it. Um, so that's you know that's that's what we're doing here with that. Been well received. I sort of have a two-part question for you because, I mean, it's you know obviously this the, the millennials are they're a very different generation, right? And I don't always like using that word, but unfortunately that's just what they're called, right? <laughs> but how are you getting these kids interested in in coming to work in this industry when they're 
when they're so obsessed with their gadgets, but at the same time, how is that early orientation in their lives with gadgets changing the way that they're learning to become a, a technician? Michelle, their rate of learning, if I compare it to my rate of learning, you know, uh, back in, I would say, 81, 82, 83, the rate of learning is, is uh, exponentially um, faster. You, you know, with with all the electronic gadgets, I mean, these cars are rolling computers. That's what they are. And if you, the students realize that, and obviously they have to see that, you know, as an instructor that you are um, abreast of the latest technology. That, that's critical because um, kids can pick that out. And, and you know, they, they know if you know your subject matter and you're confident about it. Um, but it gives them an edge. It really does. They're not afraid. Uh, you know, when I, in the dealership, when I started on, on co-op in high school, um, General Motors was coming out with uh, computer command control, and it terrified technicians. Um, you know, a little bit before my time, I was told by my mentor that disc brakes terrified technicians. I thought, well, how can that be? Drum brakes, you know, it's so much easier to do disc brakes. But um, it did. It actually terrified, you know, technicians were like, oof, you know, I don't touch that. That's not a moneymaker. You're going to get all the warning work. Well, I embraced it. And, uh, you know, we didn't have we didn't have the luxuries that these kids, these students have today and technicians. Um, for instance, if, you know, lab scopes, that was new. And, you know, I bought an old TV lab scope for my neighbor, and I said, listen, Frank, this is what I need to do. I need to measure voltages, uh, get profiles in these parameters. Do me a favor. There's a million buttons. Crazy. Set, set them to where I need it. Set all the buttons I'm not going to need, crazy glue them, and, you know, in a position where they're not going to interfere. And what I would do is I would actually, after work, I would stay at work. I'd get a, a, a new vehicle off the lot. I'd say, all right, let's see what a, uh, a map sensor profile looks like electronically. And I'd write it down, and I knew what a good profile was. Let's, let's take a look at a O2 sensor and see, you know, what cross-counting looks like electronic, uh, you know, electrically. So, you know, today we have those profiles. And the manufacturers uh, provide us with those profiles to which we can compare. Um, Students really, you know, we, we still have to teach them the basics. There's no doubt about that. You have to give them a good basic foundation. Um, you know, and the ASE and ATEF curriculum provides, it's not a curriculum, but the guide pri provides that um, that path for us and tells us, listen, this is what we teach, this is what we don't teach. But, yeah, i got to tell you, it really, um, these kids that are out there, they're digging it. I mean, some of these, <laughs> I have a student that, that, uh, that it had an eclipse, and I mean, I was amazed. I looked at this, like, yeah, that a boy. He's he's reprogramming. He's he's e-flashing the prom uh, for performance on a on a program he bought on a laptop. And you know, that's that was uh, that's what you like to see. You like to see you know a kid like that, um, and and they just embrace the technology so much better, I think, than than my generation, the newer technology. You know, because mm. it's been so rapid. So, yeah, I think it's a huge benefit, um, you know, having the electronic gadgets. Sure. We've had a, a question from our chat room. Uh, the question really is, what uh, are there any are there any women that are taking the program too, or is it all pretty much skewed towards uh, towards the male students? No, no. You know, um, I would say when I was in automotive in automotive program in high school of thirty, you know, twenty seven years ago, whatever it was, five years ago, I wish to say. Um, <laughs> It it um it was it was you know kind of a kind of a guy's world but no it's uh it's definitely co-ed I believe I have I know last year we had about four young ladies in the program and and this year I think we have six total um, so you know definitely definitely uh, a co-ed program um, we have young ladies out there um, that are that are past graduates that are working in the field so yeah it's it's um it's very well accepted. Um, you know, everybody, you know, the nice part about it is in the class, they, they treat, each, treat each other as technician apprentices. There's no, you know, guy-girl kind of rivalry. It's, it's, it's actually kind of, kind of humorous, you know, for me as an instructor um, when, you know, when a young lady will show a guy up in a shop, you know, repeatedly and then you look at it. You well, go. this generation seems to deal with that a little bit better, don't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's, it, exactly. It would be, it's no different than, than another, you know, another guy, sh you know, showing a guy up. It's, it's. Um, they do deal with it. I don't think they. I don't think they think twice about it anymore. Yeah. You know. Interesting. Yeah. 
have you seen a lot of demand coming from the students? I mean, when when we think about uh, going into the kind of of, of of technician, it's never really viewed as one of the more glamorous pursuits that parents would push their children in. Have you seen the, the demand coming really from the students to really try and learn some of these new technologies? We've seen overall interest in automobiles has waned, especially among some of the younger generations. Are you seeing anything like that, or is there still a pretty strong demand coming from a lot of the younger people? Well, you know, and that's going to lead me to, to talk about something else that I've been working on here. Um, you know, kids are kids. Mm-hmm. You know, cars are cars. They love cars. Whether, whether it's, a, you know, a 1970 uh, Charger six-pack V-Vin code, four-speed, uh, with Dana in the trunk or, a, um, you know, an, an Evo um, of today, the, ki- the kids, you know, car guys and gals, you know, they're car guys and girls. They're going to show up at my shop. It's when they tell their friends about it. You know, I, I get every, my job is to, mo- to to actually give them the dream in their in the first level class and tell them, listen, you know, here, here's a great industry. And I'm not telling you about this. I'm not telling you this because I read about it in the book. I'm telling you because I experienced, I lived it, I've loved it. Um, and they see that passion that you have, and, and you can see the passion that they develop for do- wanting to do that. Um, you're right. I mean, 30 years ago, it was not a glamorous thing. I mean, racing, in many ways, people looked at local short track racing as a hillbilly sport. Right. Um, you know, but it's evolved. So, you know, wh- what I've done um, with the help of, of Ken and Diane Hendricks, uh, we actually, Ken asked me oh, about six years ago, he said, well, what got you into, into being a technician? I told him my neighbor taking me to races. I said it was a dirty trick. And uh, he said, well, let's, let's do that. So what do you mean? Let's do it. Let's go and 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 build a stock car. So um, we we actually purchased a stock car, an asphalt late model, and we raced at Madison International Speedway. We put eight students on the team, and uh, you know different mix of of learning abilities and, and desires, and and um, it was amazing the response. The response was so great. It just it spread like wildfire. I mean, I was turning kids away. So now I can't. You know, I got I got eight kids, and we found out that that was actually too much. We whittled the team down to four students mm. and four adult mentors, and you know that's that's a boatload of a uh, boatload of work for us to handle. But um, you know, to give you an idea how we've we've grown that, we've used that race car as a magnet to education. It's a great marketing tool. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an attention getter. We'll take it, park it at a, at the mall on a weekend. You know. Myself or some students will hand out cards, and uh, you know, kids get interested. And when when kids get interested in it, you know, they tell their mom and their dad or their guardian. And you know, realistically, guys, some you know, counselors sometimes will say, "Well, you know, why do you want to be a mechanic? You know, you, you can be a computer technician." Um, so, so so you even get resistance there. But we use pull through. If a student is sold on it, you know, and a student wants it, they go to mom and dad. Mom and dad just you know. I want my son or daughter in this program mm-hmm. and the story. Um, so it works really well. Um, you know, it, it was really funny when we showed up the racetrack in 19 or not, rather in 2000 and, um, 2005, you know, it, I think everybody looked at it as, Hey, that's cute. Look at a bunch of, bunch of guys working with some kids, you know, keep them off, keep them off the streets or keep them busy. How cute. Well, I gotta <laughs> tell you, we came off, we came off for this season, um, with three consecutive wins at Madison international speedway with our driver, Zach Riddle, um, last person to do that, I believe, was Matt Kenseth here because this is his home track. Three consecutive wins, um, 12, 12 or 13 fast times. Um, I think we have a total of five or six wins this year. I mean, it's just the best racing season ever. I mean, we're, we're a force to contend with. And this is a student, student-manned race car. I mean, they do have adult mentors. You know, the adult mentors, you know, guide them in what to do. But, you know, we're not so cute anymore. Um, and, and that's a good thing, but yeah, we've, that's really unique. And, and one of the, one of the great parts about working with, uh, Ken Hendricks, um, he was such a down to earth guy and, and he would challenge you. I mean, sometimes to the point I'd look at him and say, you're kidding me. How do you, how do you expect me to do that? And he'd look at me and he'd point to his head and he'd say, you have the resources. And I'd walk out of there. Okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> mean by that? but what he did, this program was so successful with, with, you know, what Ken's, Ken's philosophy, he spent, well, Diane does it now. They spend um, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year bringing an air show into Wisconsin, uh, southern Wisconsin. And over the last, I think, 12 or 13 years, they had one student that went to Annapolis um, to the uh, uh, Naval Academy. And, you know, to Ken, when he told me, I said, that's a success. He goes, it was worth all the money. The money doesn't mean a damn thing. 
but I made a difference. And I said, well, we're going we're gonna to definitely reach a lot more students per year, you know, and, and, and we did. It was amazing. So then Ken said to me, he said, you know, he said, uh, he called me in, and it was after our first year of racing, and he said, you know, we got to get other schools involved. And I said, well, you know, I don't think that's going to happen because, of the, you know, they look at the liability. You own the race car, the one race car that we race. You own that, and, uh, you know, we're doing this as kind of an extracurricular. Curricular. The superintendents and the administration were very supportive. They had a good relationship with the Hendricks family, and, uh, you know, everything was a green light. However, other districts wouldn't touch it because of liability. They were just fearful. Mm. So Ken sat, we sat there in his office, and he sat back, and he said, you know, I want kids out there racing on Friday nights rather than on the streets or, or getting in trouble. He goes, you figure out how to get other kids from other districts involved. I looked at him. I said, you're going to fund this, you know, $150,000 a year for each, each school? He said, no. He goes, you figure it out. You have the resources. And it took me, and I walked out of the office, my head was spinning. I was like, man, how am, how am I going to do this? You know, I used to call him chief, and I said, chief, you know, thinking to myself, chief, you know, this is unrealistic. But, you know, he, he had a way to drive the best out of people. And, and ultimately, in about seven months, we rolled out the uh, American Speed Association, which you probably remember, ASA Racing, based out of Daytona Beach, Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, they were a sanctioning body. We rolled out the ASA Educational Series. And what we did, we basically used the model by getting kids involved in our race team and we went to other race teams at Madison International and said, Listen, how would you can you guys use help help on your team? And I'm like, sure, we can always use help. We can't find students. And I get to thinking, you know, like Michelle said, you know, people say the kids are different today and they're different interests. You know, I, I can tell you this. I believed and I, and I it was proof positive after our first year with the series that if you have a PS three in front of a kid or an Xbox or a stock car, they're going to go for the stock car mm. in the majority of the time. And it pro- we proved it right. We put about 30 kids out there on other teams our first year. The track loved it. For every kid that was out there, and they weren't driving, their crew members working on the car. They had to work on the car a couple of nights a week. Mm-hmm. But basically, how their team performed on the track, they were awarded scholarships. And in the last four years, we've given away a half million dollars in scholarships. No kidding. So the, yeah, yeah. Oh, so my the God. Kids- These are not the bad news bears, are they? No, <laughs> by any means. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, no, no, you know, and and the thing of it is now, now just realistically, you know, there, there, we get we get kids from all different, you know, you get kids that that you know are trying to find their way and thinking, you know, this is, you know, this sounds interesting. I, mean, I never, never, never even saw a car other than on the TV. Um, and, and from my perspective, I looked at, it, I thought it's a win-win-win for everybody. It's a win for the teams because they get to grow like AS. You get to grow your own technician. You get to go grow your own crew member. Um, for the track, it's a win because it's putting more people on the hill. It's putting another person in the pits. Now, the tracks, they, they cover the pit passes for the kids when they sign up, so it doesn't cost the team anything extra. The team gets a valuable resource. I mean, there's 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 guys that have been on teams now five, six years. I mean, they're, they're graduated, graduated college and, you know, technicians, and they're racing on the weekends with these people. Um uh, so it, the parents, you know, I mean, it, kept, it got the kids focused, and you know, they earned valuable scholarship dollars. So, so it was a it was a real success story, and it spread, uh, you know, ten tracks across the nation right now. And um, you know, it's 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 just a uh, it, it made sense because when I you know thirty years ago when I started working at the track um, on the crew, people can walk up and say, hey, you know, you guys need a hand, sure, grab this, grab that. You know, for the last 30 years, NASCAR, it, it's been different, you know, because yeah. of the publicity. It, it's like walking up to Brad Pitt's stage crew and say, hey, can I help set up, the, you know, the props? You know, get out of here, kid. Um, <laughs> it, it's 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 kind of, you know, parallel, you know, using that analogy. And so basically there's a whole generation of young people or two that, you know, they see racing, but they can't be a part of it. Well, now we fix that. And uh, it's been very successful. And to see these kids grow into young men and women on teams, you know, you know, they, they all, a lot of them come up to me. I, last race I had a, a parent come up to me and said, you know, uh, my boy's graduating from college uh, this spring. He's in a two-year program. And uh, Vern wouldn't have done – he wouldn't have done this without, you know, the guidance, you putting him on a team. What a great program. And, you know, I got to tell you, if you would say, Pete, here's a check for a half million dollars, or or here's the the sense of pride you get when you see that when that situation, when you hear that, I'd say, keep your check, you know, yeah. turn it into a paper airplane. Um, 
it, it's just uh, it's phenomenal how it works. So, so we've used that. We've used our race car as a marketing tool. It's very unique as a marketing tool and as a uh, um, you know as a as a magnet to education. And interestingly enough, um, everybody uh, here tonight in the roundtable, uh, everyone's familiar with AJ, the legendary AJ Foyt of mm-hmm. IndyCar fame, four-time IndyCar winner, absolutely, or Indy 500 winner. Well, um, I worked for for AJ, worked with his team a few years, and um, I got to know AJ and Larry and the guys in the crew. And last uh, winter, I I called Larry and said, "Hey, I got a kid up here who who's really promising, and and I'd like you. To, would you want to take him down there for an internship?" And they they took him. I mean, the kid who kid worked real hard to graduate by December, and and Diane Hendricks bought him an airline ticket, and sh- we shipped him down to. Uh, we shipped him down to Waller, Texas, and he spent some time down there interning. And what a great experience! Made wow, great contacts, yeah. you know. And, and the great part about it is, um, you know, first generation in this country. You know, uh, parents are from Mexico, and and you know the, the kid is just—he's going to be a shining star in, in this industry. You know, as a wrench, and uh, you know, loves racing. I mean, the kid kid shows up. <laughs> Um, you know, he's no longer racing with us because he graduated, but, you know, he's working on another team and, and just, you know, it's part of his life. And that, that's, that's what we want to see. We want to, you know, if you can, if you could reach somebody's effective mode and how they, on how they perceive and think about things in that manner, you know, you've done your job. And then, you know, I think our team has really done their job, uh, getting these young people energized, um, you know, working with our, with our dealer stakeholders and, and our motorsports contacts and, and making this happen for them. Hmm. Well, I'm going to do our quickly, our little half-hour announcement here. If you just joined us, this is Open Line Show, and I'm Michelle Naranjo from AutoByTel.com, and we're joined by Pete Raskovic, who's an automotive um, technician who has turned into an amazing educator. And my special co-host this week is Aaron Bragman, Senior Analyst at IHS Automotive. And um, if you guys want to call in and ask a question, please do, because Pete's going to be here for a little bit longer. It's uh, 712 712- Four three two zero nine zero zero pin number nine one one six three three, and when we're doing doing the interview, you have to dial pound six once you get in to sort of raise your hand so we can open up the question board. Um, we did have a question in the in the chat room, and it was about the kids. You know, the wrenches are valuable, right? But are the kids learning how to apply themselves to the commercial aspects like sponsorships? Are they limited to the wrenching? And I'm kind of interested in this because, I mean, there's a whole other aspect to being a technician, right, where you have to actually, Correct. at some point, you have to interact with the non-techs. Right. And, and you know, that's a great that's a great question, and, and I preach that with my students. As a matter of fact, a young man in my in my office today is in my, my just started my second-level class, and he said to me, you know, I've been thinking about the healthcare field or this. I've got to make a decision. I said, well, you know, I'll support you on whatever you make. But I thought about the situation, and I could see you, you know, going out, getting your getting your associate's degree, um, working towards your your bachelor's degree in automotive management, you know, get, getting your five seven years of, of wrenching experience, and then becoming an instructor. And he goes, you know, that's what I was thinking. I wanted to talk to you about that. Um, but academics are, the, you know, what we do: the math, the applied skills, the communications. Um, I am a Big, big supporter of uh, Skills USA. Mm. Um, it used to be VICA, Vocational Industrial Clubs of America. It's a, uh, a fraternal organization, a leadership organization for students studying the trades. And it's secondary and post-secondary, so these students can be a part of it in high school and college. And every Friday, we we I do a theory, uh, my presentation to the students. Um, I do a seminar, I guess you could call it, on. You know, the, the professional skills, the soft skills, um, you know, the employability skills, for instance, we're building automotive portfolios together. Kids hate paperwork. They just don't like it. So I said, listen, here's a folder. Put your name on the folder, and here's what we're going to do. I'm going to make it painless. Every every certificate you get, because I'm really big on, on uh, having my kids work and earn industry certificates, not school certificates, but industry professional certificates while they're in high school. Um, you know, there's a lot of automotive manufacturers, uh, aftermarket manufacturers. Um, these kids can walk away. Kids that are not working at dealerships, working in independent garages, can walk away with about six, seven certifications. Um, you know, they can't do their ASE certifications until two years or a year after the learning process, but they're walking away with some, some nice training um, certifications. And 
we put all that stuff in a file. We work on a resume with them. We do interviewing skills. We do time management. Um, skills USA provides a whole curriculum on PDP, professional development plan, and, and that's a big deal because you're right. You know, I don't want it to just stop at the wrenches. I want to give these kids uh, the tools they need. You know, and, and one of the things I really, really admire about some of the European autom automotive manufacturers, just share a little story with you. Um, and, and in a way, it was kind of kind of sad. I worked at the dealership, and, and you know, I, was, I, I, I knew I had to turn wrenches. I had to become a master technician. But I knew I wanted something bigger in this industry. And, you know, I talked to, talked to our General Motors rep. Oh, this is in 1983, 84. And I said, Mike, I said, you know, what, so what does it take? What does it take to, uh, to to become a rep, a field, a zone rep? And this was back when we, you know, we had zone reps um, doing warranty claims and the technical stuff. And he said, well, you know, you need a four-year degree. I said, but you know, I'm getting a two-year degree in automotive. He said, you need a four-year. It doesn't matter if it's in political science. You need a four-year. I said, well, that doesn't make sense. And and it really didn't. However, a lot of the, the European manufacturers, um, they wanted you to be, you know, hardcore technician, and they would train you. For the, for the next level position. Um, we see that with the German manufacturers. Um, they want you to have a strong grassroots level. The Japanese manufacturers, um, you know, I, I worked, when I was working at this dealership, they had a Subaru franchise. It was amazing. We had, a, remember the old Subaru Justy three cylinders? Oh, yes. You know, we had, we had a brand new one that came off the, off the truck and it had an engine knock and they said, don't touch it. Now, Subaru Zone said, don't touch it. Put, block the car, keep it outside, we'll, we'll be in contact. Well, within seven to ten days, they sent out two Japanese engineers with an American interpreter, and they, you know, they used the bay next to my bay, and they put the car up in the air, took the oil pan down, they needed to borrow some tools, and like, they brought micrometers, and they just, you know, they basically took the bottom end uh, apart, took a, a couple of rod caps off, and, you know, um, did their measurements, wanted to, you know, they were, they were on a mission to find out, you know, why it failed, and I talked to the, uh, to the, the one engineer through the interpreter, I said, well, how, how did you get involved in this? And he said, well, I used to work on the assembly line in the engine division. I'm like, what? He used mm -hmm. to work on the assembly line, and I expressed an interest in engineering, and they saw that I, that I had that desire, and you know, Fuji Heavy Industries put me through their own engineering school, so I'm an engineer. Uh, you know, what a, what a powerful, uh, to have somebody that understands um, these things um, actually become an engineer, that's you know, strong grassroots foundation. That's powerful. I believe that's powerful. Whether you're you go to be an automotive educator, an engineer, um, you know, in the industry, if you have that grassroots knowledge, um, it, it just gives you one leg up on the competition. So I want my students to be prepared. I want them to go get a two-year degree minimum after my program. I w would like them to consider going on and get a four-year degree in automotive management. Um, you know, and some students will go on to be engineers, and that's that's that is few and far between. Um, but you know, most of the time, they'll we'll get a, a handful of students that will go on to get their four-year degree in, in management. Um, some students will go out to, to Michigan and and uh, you know get get some get a degree in automotive management. There's a there's a very good school out there. Um, you know, there, there's some good schools nationally. Uh, Penn College of Technology provides a four-year degree. And automotive management, so they're preparing themselves for the future, wherever that may be, whether it's service management, um, you know, they, they natural progression, go from a technician to a service advisor to a, uh, you know, possibly a shop foreman to a assistant service manager, an ASM, and then a service manager, and then service director. You know, we've got to lay those options out. There's also a route if you need to go, um, you know, you could go and work for the factory. I mean, that's, you know, um, Lot of, Is the aftermarket industry that, an option, like any SEMA stuff? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I worked. I worked for Standard Motor Products, a Fortune 500 company. And that's that's. Uh, I was a tech trainer for them, and you know that that really opened my eyes to the world. Um, that was like the, the icing on the cake for my career. I looked at it and said, "Wow, you know, this is this is, you know, here's a kid here's a kid from uh, you know Bushkill Drive in Easton, Pennsylvania, who who was playing in a garage, you know, you know, 15 years ago." And, uh, you know, here I am flying around the country training technicians. Some of them were, were double my age. And, uh, you know, so, so that was, yes, aftermarket, huge. You know, uh, we don't want to limit our students, whether they want to become educators, technicians. Uh, with You know, we want to prepare them um, for whatever options come down the road. We want, we want them to be well-equipped. Um, and they, you know that's that's one of the reasons we're an AYS school, and we're a NATEF Master Certified Facility. It's about giving our students options. What's been the uh, the biggest challenge in keeping your educational programs going lately? 
So obviously money. Um, you know, very expensive programs to run. Um, a lot of overhead. You know, you get your your fixed ops. Um, you know, uh, I would say I would say though, other than you know the, the budgetary constraints, it's it's getting um, you know getting getting the the overcoming this this uh, economy. This, this problem we have with the economy now, um, but the good news the good news is that you know a lot of the dealerships um, that I've talked to my dealer partners they laid off some of their higher level guys maybe not maybe not their most valued technicians but the guys that were kind of in the upper echelon soon to be very valued but also with a high you know had had a, commanded a higher salary um, there are a lot of layoffs I mean as you know nationally. And now, as as business picks up, um, or as business you know continues to move, they find a need, and what a great opportunity! Because you know they're not going to hire back these technicians at twenty four, twenty five dollars, thirty dollars an hour right now. They're not going to do it. But what they can do is grow their own technicians. So effectively, you know, a student will come to me for three days a week. Um, they'll be in the automotive program, get their academics done, the other half day. Thursday and Friday, they will go out in a technical practicum. You know, let's they'll go out and work, and they'll get paid. So a student could effectively work junior year, the summer between junior and senior year, senior year, summer before college, and then, you know, while there are a lot of the kids will, will opt to go to tech college at night um, or just take their automotive courses for one semester and then take their academics at night while they remain employed by the manufacturer and uh, by the dealer. And... You know, so a kid can be 21 years old, 22 years old, and have five, six years of experience. And a dealership, that's, that's powerful. Yeah, yeah that's, that's powerful. So, so what I'm seeing now is I'm seeing dealers. I have a friend that has uh, has 15 stores, and uh, his his Ford store is, is well, probably about 45 minutes west of my school. And he tells me hiring in the shop is an ongoing process, Pete. You know, that's that's and, and what a great philosophy but he takes these these young technician apprentices and i've got to tell you i've got five students when i say five i have two current and three former students um in the in the work base and you know they've got well they probably have 15 students there or rather 15 technicians there so you know about a third are students from my program and you know they're young chad works with them um, what a great opportunity! I mean, and you know, you, you see that this—he's not the exception to the rule. You see dealers that, that work with the uh, young people. You know, a lot of these, a lot of these kids. You know, they, they may need a car. Um, you know, they'll put them, they'll get something from the back lot. They'll put them in a car. You know, they'll they'll give them. I mean, <laughs> sell them the car for practically nothing, but the kid doesn't have the money, so they'll work with them once. You know, he can pay so much a month, and you know, these dealers and the service managers. Our, our stakeholders, they really step up to the plate to accommodate these students. And I explained to the students, you know, you're going there and you're earning, in most cases when they start working, they're earning minimum wage or a little better. There is a cost to fix to your training. There is no doubt about that. You're going to make mistakes that the dealership's going to have to absorb. Um, you're going to be slower. You know, we're not looking for speed. We're looking for quality um, until you reach the point where, you know, you're ready to go on flat rate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to have a, to have um Strong dealers and, and, and a strong um, advisory committee, which is basically made up of our stakeholders, it's invaluable. You can't put a price tag on it. They are the people that drive what we teach. It's about teaching the curriculum that's tailored for industry, what what this industry needs, not what does Pete want to teach or what Pete likes to teach or what my comfort zone is. It's what do we need to do. So, for example, right now, um, for the last, uh, well, since school started, September 2nd, um, I've been doing job readiness skills. The kids are like, well, what's that? That's new. I said, yep, it is. I said, well, I want to revisit from last year and the last two years everything you did, you know, uh, that are that are imperative to you getting a job out there right now. I mean, basic stuff. Let's go over it. Let's review it. And, you know, it's it's been really well received. And so we move into our new unit of instruction, our large unit of instruction on steering and suspension systems on Monday. Um, you know, the students have, in the last 30 days or so, have uh, – gotten their job readiness skills that I call it, job readiness skills um, aside, and they're comfortable with it, and now they can go out and apply for jobs. Wow, um, we, we actually have a real caller question right now. Yes. <laughs> Ben's going to turn, uh, let Dave in, Dave H. Hello. Hello. Dave, are you there? Welcome to Open Line. Hi, Hello. There he is. Hello, Hello Dave. Sorry, it took me a minute to get off mute. 
Uh, I just typed my question into the chat. I, I was interested in Pete's comment about, um, I forget who the manufacturer was, but about them wanting the, the whole engine back. I think he said Lexus. Uh, that was Actually, that was Subaru. Subaru. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Um, I was at General Motors when Lexus launched, and I just remember the amazement company-wide that initially Lexus would not allow technicians to open up engines. If there was any issue whatsoever, rod knock or lifter tick or an electrical issue, they wanted the whole engine sent back to Toyota and just swap it out and, and let them determine root cause and, and fix it. And that was revolutionary to from right. GM's perspective. So I was curious if you were involved in, in any of that back when Lexus launched. No, actually, my, my dealer, our franchise, we had uh, we had GMC, Cadillac, Oldsmobile, Subaru. And, uh, you know, so so that was where my, my dealership background was limited to. Um, but I can tell you this, you know, I, I worked on the Indy Racing League, and, and what you're saying, just um, what they're doing on the Indy Racing League just echoes what what you've just stated, um, you know, when to, when Toyota was involved, and now Honda has the exclusive, um, you know, the exclusive engine program for for the IRL. You know, they're they're about a hundred thousand dollars a race per race lease. Um, we could do nothing with those engines. We put the engine in, we hooked everything up to it. They were sealed units. Um, we couldn't even start the engines until their engineer was there. Um, I remember AJ one time started started an engine. He said, "Just get it started, get it started." And there was an engineer there. Let me tell you, there was an engineer there within a minute um, because everything's monitored. And what you know, the the coolant, the oil temperature. They look at all of they they plug in and look at all the data parameters, and everything has to be right. Um, you know, after so many races, we take the engine out, take the oil out, take the engine out, ship it back. So you know that that just you know proves this just. Supports what you said about uh, you know their their ability and desire to really um, you know have their ear to the ground on what's going on with their engines with their with their engineering you know um, on that performance end of it because a lot of a lot of times as as we all know um, you know this is a testing ground for new technology so uh, impressive it, it was you know I mean to see to see the two engineers in white lab coats come in and at the time I'm I think I was probably 19 years old. Um, 20 years old, it just blew me away because that was revolutionary. You know, usually it's you know take the engine out, create it. You know, when the, when the zone rep comes in, they'll they'll warranty you know either warranty or not warranty it and ship it back where it went. Nobody knows. Um, but uh, yeah, I think um, you know I, I definitely you know it was one it was one of the events that really stuck with me in my mind. Obviously, you know, almost 30 years later. Dave, you know what? That's really interesting that you say that. Um, it's a great question. And um, Pete, I have to tell you, my background's in off-road, and I, when I can, tried to crew for Rod Hall, and of course they used to be Hummer. And Rod helped develop a lot of, you know, through his off-road racing and um, training with the military, helped develop the Hummer as it was when it died. <laughs> Um, But, I mean, there was a lot of technology training going on right there for GM, and they would send out, they would send out engineers, but they were like crew. Um, It wasn't like they were there to monitor and oversee it, whereas in, like, for the Baja 1000, if um, Toyota shows up with a Pathfinder, they would, or a Forerunner, I'm sorry, they would have, like, Ivan the Iron Man and I, would, I asked Ivan one time, I said, so do you get to, like, test it throughout, you know, the year before it shows up in Baja for you to drive and you actually get to dictate a lot of how it runs and some of the things you'd like to see in it? And he said, no, they just, they show up. And it was literally like the engineers in the white coats, like, over yep. the Toyota. And, you know, Ivan just got to walk in, Mr. Hollywood, and, <laughs> you know, drive it as hard as he could, and it was a much different experience. <coughs> there's right. um, it, it, there's it, it, very it, much like um, the engineers rule everything with with Toyota, for sure. Yeah, TRD does some amazing stuff. Um, you know, and, and when they were involved in the IRL, we had a, we had a, ran a Toyota um, one year, and, you know, the, I mean, these, these, guys are, these guys are engineers. You know, they come in there, um, 
you know, I, uh, again, I like to I like to pick their brains and you know see check see what their background is and their expertise areas and um, you know, it's pretty amazing. Um, a, lot, a lot of these a lot of these engineers have never have never touched a wrench. You know, they're they're trained in um, doing a certain task. They're trained in, in monitoring parameters or specific parameters, and they do a great job at it. It's just amazing the different level of thought that's there. So. Um, you're right, and, and Dave, you know that's a that's a great observation. Um, I think I think that uh, you know, all of us in in, in the industry, uh, manufacturers, uh, dealers, and, and technicians alike, would be well served to um, not just you know we we want we need to know why it failed, and I think we've done a great job um, moving towards that direction as as an industry in the United States um, compared to where we were 30 years ago. Mm. Sure, and I, I, I guess as a follow-up question, do do you see a change in that as far as the the domestic automakers go? Certainly, I have a perspective on it, but I don't want to bias your answer. As far as uh, which uh, way it's going, in, in terms of wanting wanting to get the hardware back unmolested, so to speak, to to understand root cause and and fix the issue in the manufacturing upstream rather than just shipping money out to the dealers to, to fix it and keep building problems in at the at the engine plant or the vehicle plant. You and know, you I, I, I guess, um, you know, I, I would have to say this. If we're um, not, not just survive, but flourish and thrive and, and you know, um, be a leader, we have to do that. I, I don't see that as being optional. Um, you know, whether, whether the manufacturers, it's the direction um, that they – are going to go or will and go? Play. I really, I really don't. Know. I would hope they would. Um, you know, I, I would hope they would would move towards that direction like they have. Um, you know, but we have to. I mean, you, you can't in a global economy. We can't, um, you know, put band aids on uh, problems. Hope they go away till the next model year. You know, we, we've got to address it and keep building our technology. Um, you know, so so I guess you know my 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 opinion would be. Um, I don't. I don't see how we we could move away from that direction. I think we need to move towards that direction if we're going to be, remain strong sure. and become strong. Yeah, I, I agree entirely. I just wondered if, uh, from your perspective, if you saw that shift taking place. Because my perspective is from from engineering looking out, and and I believe there have been significant strides in that direction. But your perspective is, is looking the other way, from what I gather, and and. I'm just interested to know if it's making a difference. I, yeah, I, I think it would. I think it does. Um, you know, I had a friend of mine I work with on the IRL, Matt Stevenson, and, and Matt Matt actually works for uh, works for NASA and uh, now. And he, I said to him, I said, you know, Matt, I said, you know, he, it's something. I remember working at the dealership. Oh, I think it was it was it was a oh, 1981, 82 Cavalier, and the coil four cylinder coil was up in back of the under the manifold, and it was just, how do you get it? And I said, you know, how do you, how do engineers design this stuff? And, you know, have they ever, you know, when it can't be serviced easily? And, you know, he was he was a really, you know, um, tell it the way it is kind of a guy. And he said, well, Pete, he goes, you know, if an engineer can build it, they should be able to service and repair it. And he goes, that's an engineer. <laughs> and, you know, I like that. I really mm-hmm. do. And I think you see a lot of that philosophy um, with the Europeans. And, 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 you know, you're seeing it here, too. It's, it's, it's a trickle-down effect. Um, you know, we... I just uh, we, we're such a powerhouse um, um, that, that we need to we need to embrace the the technologies um, and the and the procedures that keeps us on top. I mean, you know, there's second place isn't good enough. It, it just isn't. And um, you know, especially especially in this this global economy, you know, it's uh, you know we've we're we're melded here, you know foreign domestic where's the line you know um but i think i think the competition um back back in the 80s uh, you know it was it was kind of a disaster from my perspective in the shop seeing some of the stuff that was put out i mean the, the Oldsmobiles, you know the big 88s and 98s with two sixties, and the, you know they, they couldn't get out of their own way with a 90 mile an hour tail, tailwind um <laughs> you know what you know what's what's the What's the thought process there when they put that car together, and why, you know, you know why, uh, why is it like that? Um, that? That was that was troubling. I got to tell you, as a technician, it was troubling to see that. And then, you know, on the same thing, 
we worked with Subarus, and you looked at the Subarus, and you thought, wow, this is pretty simple. It's it's pretty basic. It works. You know, great fuel economy. And, and you saw that, you know, this is back in the 80s. They were, they were pretty pretty darn reliable vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, like just, a just from brat. a technician's perspective. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. just reminded me of the, the Brat with the uh, seats <laughs> and the cargo bed, the that was always it, interesting. It's funny you should mention that because when I talked about when I just talked about Subarus, I, I was visualizing a, a a blue Subaru Brat at the time that I was just I was amazed and I thought the first thing that came to my mind is a lot of liability here, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> sitting in a back getting getting launched, you know. Yeah, um, now they're iconic collectors' items these days. <laughs> right, right, you know, and take that back ten years, uh, the the Volkswagen thing, you know, uh, yeah. try to try to try to buy a, a VW thing, but yeah, they did they they definitely. Uh, it was kind of interesting because some of the guys I worked in the in the Cadillac module at that time, and, and we were directly across from the Subaru technicians. And you know, Subaru techs had a um, you know they they were one of us. They were they were you know from the same city, from the same towns, but they were trained and they had a different they had almost a different mindset. It seemed at the time. You know they they you know there was there was um, I, I don't even know how to describe it, but sometimes I thought they thought they were better than the Cadillac technicians, and it was funny. You know. Um, and, and who could be better than a Cadillac technician? But uh, you know, it was it was just uh, a, a great great learning experience being out in the dealership uh, and, and getting a chance to you know to work on on these different vehicles, work with the manu- you know with the manufacturers. Manufacturers provided some great training for us. You know, if you wanted the training, it was there. If you didn't want the training, you didn't want to take the time to go to Moorestown, New Jersey, or to go um, to any one of the other training centers. Guess what? You weren't going to grow. Um, but you know, we had we had a lot of engineers that did teach the classes for General Motors, and uh, you know, it was it was interesting, interesting perspective for uh, for me as a as a young technician at the time. Uh, you know, back when they had the uh, the check engine, you know, the computer command control and fuel injection was just coming out. Um, you know, you would go we go to a set, uh, a class, a two or three day class at Moorestown. And the General Motors engineer would say, "All right, well, let's look at flow charts. Okay, so if we if we have this voltage, we need to follow this path. If we have this voltage, you know, and at the bottom it was clear, it was black or white. It was replace, you know, either a bad connection or or replace the component, or obviously a bad at the time they called it an ECM. And you know, I'd sit there and say, well, wait, it doesn't always work that way. What do you mean it doesn't work that way? It has to work that way. Well, it doesn't, you know. Um, so we, you know, a lot of a lot of good give and take, but." Um, it was just a different perspective, you know. It was, it was a perspective of, of uh, my being a technician in a shop, um, sir, trying to figure out these cars, and, and the engineers who were trained to to uh, build these, and, and obviously trained, trained, um, you know, bright people, amazing people. I mean, some of the stuff that they, you know, that they would tell us and instruct us on, you'd sit there and say, "Wow, you know, that's that's rocket scientist, rocket science." And, and in a lot of ways, it, it, it was. But then, you know, you look at it today, um, and and the technology on on a low level car, the computer systems are exponentially faster, more reliable than the Apollo Eleven computer mm. system. And I got to tell you, I mean, and, you know, I, I'm not, I wouldn't be real comfortable um, thinking about that with with all the failures we've seen early in the '80s. And but um, you know, that that just gives you an idea of how this trade has become such a such a highly skilled trade. And and I love Snap On Snap On tools, as you know, they're they're based in in uh, um, Kenosha, Wisconsin, um, you know, great, wonderful tool. They come out with some uh, some really interesting um, posters over the years, and, and one of them, I just just really, I looked at it and I saw it. It's it's my favorite. I have it framed. It has a a, a picture of a a man, a professional, and he's in his and he's uh, in his light blue dealership shirt, and his his daughter is there with him, and they're working on a computer. And um, the, the caption says, "In high school, they called him a gearhead." She calls him daddy, and and it it said it all. You look at it, and here, you know, it's it's not the stereotypical, um, you know, grease monkey, um, rough shaven, you know, mechanic that that we've been trying to break that that image, you know, for for years. Um, you know, it, it's just it's just kind of looking at that poster. You look at it, and say, listen, this, you know, this guy's a professional. It's a highly, you know, it's got to be a highly trade, highly uh, skilled trade. Um, it just sends the right message. I know. Um, we've all watched these different shows on on different um, networks, uh, you know, Custom Garage. Uh, I'm not, you know, not to mention any particular show where they where they, um, you know, they play mechanic, 
Um, you know, and, and I look at some of that stuff, and my, my son races, and and uh, he's young, he's 14, and I, I look at that, and I say, Mike, you know, it's it's really not like that. This is a bad, you know, they're portraying a bad image of technicians. You know, they're 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 showing themselves to be mechanics. Um, you know, I mean, I hate hate to say that, but you know, uh, that's that's the way I see it. We have an we have an image that that you know we had an image battle that we had a fight, and we need to continue, um, you know continue that uphold that professionalism and boy when i see stuff like like that out there i think it just hurts the whole whole industry you know mm. at this level oh, but that was um you know dave, dave that's a uh, your your background in engineering then dave dave with us yeah sorry okay oh, no, your ba- your background is in engineering then Yes, uh, engineering and quality. So I was at Ford for almost 17 years and doing uh, engineering consulting now. It's a, yeah. a, sort of a tier one consulting supplier to Ford. Oh. Yeah, that's... that's. Uh, I heard you guys initially before I called, you were talking about that Ford commercial. What what was yeah. the general consensus? Uh, I thought that was, that was... John had that last week on, uh, on uh, Autoline, and uh, it was pretty interesting how that how they yanked that ad. It is. We're still trying to come up with what the consensus was. It's it's a difficult topic for them. It's it's on one hand they'd love to be able to capitalize on on the fact that they that is an advantage for them in the market, but on the other hand they'd get a whole lot of flack over it from a lot of people very high up. Not to mention the White House, I don't think necessarily wants Ford out there saying it, and and that's one of the reasons I think we saw Congress just this past week actually summoned Alan Mulally. Uh, the House uh, rep- House representatives did to actually explain why did you take this ad off? What did you get pressured by the White House to do it? So, right. Just in case anybody that's listening doesn't know what we're talking about, in the first hour we were talking about the Ford ad that was the um, driver who was on the Ford nationally broadcast ad that came in into the group of you know everybody's seen those Ford ads right where they bring in the whatever driver and he came in and he said that he would he um, bought. Ford because they didn't take any money from the government, which was a sort of low shot at GM and Chrysler. That's the way it's being it's way it's being interpreted anyway. Right, and Ford pulled the ad. That was very uncharacteristic of Ford to do that, though. They're they're usually very sensitive to that sort of thing, and and generally don't go along, don't follow that path. Exactly. Ford CEO Alan Mulally has been very careful to not ruffle those kind of feathers because you know what? You never know when Ford may have to go to the government down the road if we hit another recession, if we hit another big uh, big economic issue. They may have to go to the government and ask for money at some point. And to have something like that out there, it wouldn't necessarily sit well with a lot of politicians to begin with. So. I, I, mean, I, I don't think they wouldn't have crafted a message of that sort, but maybe yes. they thought since that was the voice of an actual customer, precisely they they could do it and and it would be taken in the right way but of course everyone jumped on the bandwagon to say you know oh ford's rubbing everyone's face in the mud and uh it, it was probably yeah. wise to pull it i agree you know and I, and I don't think you could i i really don't think that you can you can't win you, you can't come out on top with an ad like that either way um yeah you know it's just you're right. That was uncharacteristic. Um, you know, I mean, the the upside of that, yeah, obviously, obviously, the you know, they were trying to purvey a sense of pride, yeah, independence. Um, you know, we we understand that. You know, people that work for GM as well, you know, on the assembly lines, they're independent technicians. Um, you know, the engineers, management, everybody, everybody's independent, wants to be independent, and uh, strives towards that. But yeah, so that's when I saw that, I was like, boy. At first, I looked, I said, wow. You know, and and. Um, my students, it was amazing to see their reaction. They were just, you know, a lot of, some of them laughed, some of them were just shocked. Um, we, we watch, I, I, by the way, I'd like to mention this, um, Autoline Daily is a daily part of our automotive program. That I'm so glad to hear that. Doesn't John do a fantastic job? John and the team are just, I think it's an amazing show. That's, Absolutely. That's the Every, podcast I can't do without. Yeah, every everybody there. It's it's just it's wonderful. I mean, and you know, it takes it takes. I explain to the students, especially the first level students, um, when they come in there. You know, listen, it's going to take you you know a week to get this. I mean, they're going to talk about things that you don't know about. They're going to talk about parts suppliers. Um, you know, they're going to talk about finances, but they're going to talk about new technologies. And you're you're going to get the issues, and it's amazing how it's. I mean, they 
sincerely. I mean, no remind you, Mr. R. We have to we have to watch AutoLine before the end of the day, or we'll watch. You know, we watch if we don't watch it in the morning. If we got some, some <laughs> things that we have to, that are pressing, they will remind me that we need to watch AutoLine. And you know, that's not a, that's you know not embellishing it. It is just you know it's so um, ingrained in them. That's part. That is their that is their daily current events dose. So what you know, hats off to everybody at AutoLine. Uh, I just it's it's a great tool, and um, you know I, I try to tell other instructors about it. Um, you know what what a, what a great tool. Again, you know as Michelle said, you know it doesn't stop with turning wrenches. You need to be informed. You know whether you're at the grassroots level, service management, or you know level 99, you, you need to be informed of what's going on in your industry. I mean it, it affects us. It affects us at the grassroots level, at the technician level. It's so true, Pete. Thank you so much. I mean, and you know what? I'm going to tell you something. You need to get your students to start downloading Roundabout Show from AutoLine on Fridays because that is also, that's the younger sort of generation. It's the humorous stories from the automotive world of the week, and it gets a little bizarre sometimes. And there's, <clears throat> but you might not like it so much, but I bet your students would. <laughs> but thank you so much Very for coming creative. on. This has been fantastic. I would love to have you back on so we could actually like probably take calls and people could ask you questions because I think you probably know a lot more than I do. Uh, <laughs> for sure. Well, you know, uh, I want to thank, thank everybody for your, your, your dedication and your passion and taking the time. Um, you guys do a great job. Keep up the great work. Oh, thank you. So Pete Raskovic, I mean, do, do you want to promote any of your, you guys don't really have a site, do you? Um, actually, if they, if they, they can Google up urban force racing, and it'll take us. It'll take them to the site. I'll tell them about the racing program. Um, and I'll have some links there. And uh, you know, I, I guess I would. I would like to say thank you um, to to the school district of Beloit, who has been an absolute absolute um, supporter in this uh, quest to build a world class program here in Wisconsin. Thank you to Automotive Youth Educational Systems, and a big thank you to all our dealer and manufacturer partners. Without your support, and AS. Uh, this would not, what we do here you know, across the nation, training students to work in dealerships um, and to give them a good, solid foundation, it wouldn't be possible. So so I guess the, the big thanks would go out to the dealers and the manufacturers um, who have participated in AS. Keep up the great work. We need your support, and, and you are our key stakeholders. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you, Pete. Awesome. Thank you, Pete. And so, you guys, thank you for joining our recorded portion of Open Line Show. Of course, we're going to go on for another two hours at least. It depends on how late Aaron and I feel like staying up. <laughs> uh, you are more than welcome to join us. You can always call in at 712-432-0900, PIN number 91633. We will be – that number is open now. It will we'll stop recording, and everybody will be unmuted, so you can call in, and we can just talk about the automotive stuff that's happened in the last month. And um, Pete Rasmus, again, thank you. We yeah, thank so you. appreciate it. So interesting. Like this show? There's a whole lot more where this came from. Just join us on the first Tuesday of every month between 8 p.m. and 12 a.m. Eastern Time and dial 1-712-432-0900 with PIN 911-633. Get even more info about this and many other automotive programs at AutolineDetroit.tv. Follow me, Michelle Naranjo, at Twitter.com slash Miss Motormouth or Chelsea Sexton at Twitter.com slash EVShells. Until next time, happy motoring. Please hang up now. If you need assistance, dial your operator. This is a recording.